I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Bang! What's what happening, y'all? What's good, my people? It is the Dope Knife. This is the Lingua Franca. And we are waiting on reparations. I like the the. We should, the Lingua Franca, you should consider making that like a real official change. I dig it. Well, you know, like Lingua Franca is often used with, what's that, the uh, singular definite article. In that, you know, it's the, you know, English is the lingua franca. Oh, shit. It's the lingua franca of the internet. Uh, you know, French is the lingua franca in, uh, quote unquote, post-colonial Africa. So so where did where did the name come? Because I don't think we've ever really discussed where our rap Probably names not. I haven't talked from. about this word. So, um, so, yeah, I have a master's in linguistics for some fucking reason. And um, I, uh, in studying linguistics, learned about lingua francas which are languages used to communicate across um, cultural boundaries. So like I was saying, you know, Mandarin um, as the official language of China is the lingua franca, even though various dialects are spoken all over China. Um, and I could get all into the, you know, languages versus dialects. But um, so I, you know, adopted this in my rap name because I wanted my music to be a lingua franca for all kinds of people to come together around the music that I made. And I hope that's true. Um, but that's a way more like noble reason than my name. I, I mean, obviously my name's Mac, but like I used to have a homie who used to call me Mac the Knife back in the day. And I used to Return be. Return of the Mac. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, my first rap name for years was just Mac. I would just go by Mac. And then I just didn't like the way that it looked like on the back of mixtapes. On the back of mixtapes, it just looked weird to see everybody with cool rap code names this is like before people started just rapping by their their government and shit like that so it's mm-hmm. like everyone's got like yo i'm spike 
yo, I'm I'm Lil This and Young Matt. I was just like, I'm Mac. I was like, nah, nah, I gotta change that. <laughs> I'm Mac. <laughs> so I, I started going by knife and I was in a group dope sandwich, long story short, you know, when the group uh disbanded, it was kinda like, let me keep the dope to, you know, symbolize my, my crew, that sort of thing. This ain't a regular knife. This is a dope knife. Exactly, exactly. The funny, you know, some funny shit is like I don't know why, but every now and then Joe Rogan will be talking about like an actual knife on Instagram or Twitter or some shit. He'll be like, "This is a dope knife." He'll say, "This is a dope knife," and then my mentions will go fucking crazy for like a day. <laughs> you capitalize on my shit? Yeah, yeah. Get my mixtape. You dumb bitch. <laughs> Y'all would hate me. Um, yeah. Anyway. So we are back. How, how's your week? Your week was good? A week has been a week. Um, I have been on one with regards to my, like, uh, my, my, my perpetual tussling with the cops around here. Yeah, we, we need a follow-up on what we talked about last Did week. I, okay, with, so uh, I talked to you about how the police chief was, like, real mad at me and yeah. shit. And, uh, yeah, so that all kind of dis- dissipated in that the county manager kind of had a word with him about his behavior oh not only was what he said just just generally offensive and inappropriate it was in violation of the county charter like the literal structure of how the government is supposed to work Mm. in certain ways so they had a little chat um and uh so that was all fine but i was like yeah y'all thought you're gonna silence me but that's um never going to fucking happen was it just like a talking to or did he get disciplined somehow no he it was described as a counseling Mm. uh, which i think is like a, a you know a way to soften like, hey, bud, we're just going to have a little chat, yeah. you know? I don't think it was a disciplinary matter. Probably felt like it for someone that operates with utter impunity, mm. um, as law enforcement often does. But, <coughs> excuse me. Bless you. <coughs> but, um, so I pinned another opinion up uh, editorial on Monday night, um, just about revolutionary optimism and just, like, how to understand losing. Um I had read another article recently um, decrying like to fund the police as like um, and and the electoral vulnerability and a failed movement and how people need to move on. And I just want to reframe some of the evidence they use that the fund had failed for people that who might be more sensitive to that kind of rhetoric. You know, it's a lot of young people out here who have their hopes really high that they can change the world. And so I just wanted to like offer them a word of hope in ways that probably further angered. Um, the law enforcement officials in my community, but you know what? I'm not worried about it. I'm not really worried about it. They got a problem with it. They know where they can stick it. How about that? I mean, I I don't. Like, I know you can't say that or something. I can't say that. I will not say that. <laughs> but um, I will say that I have frequently found at moments of high tension when. I am getting like yelled at by many people about something. Yeah. It generally coincides with when something really important is happening and a very important conversation we need to have is happening. So it's not something like I relish in or like. It does it does come at great personal and cost and like cost to my mental health. But it's like, hmm, I've seen this correlation a lot. It probably means that this is important if this is starting to happen to me. Well, I mean, it's always, always recognizing and prioritizing what's important versus what's not you know what i'm saying like knowing what what battles to fight and win so yeah um all right so let's get into what we're getting into today so today's episode that we have been long talking about for the last two weeks we are going to be talking about the man the myth the legend dick gregory yeah now 
Richard Claxton Gregory, as he's known. Claxton. 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 Let me talk to Claxton. Richard Claxton Gregory was a comedian, author, civil rights, and health activist born October 12, 1932. He would eventually pass away August 19, 2017. His career had several moments of social relevance uh, from his rise in stand-up comedy in the 50s, his civil rights work alongside Medgar Evers and MLK in the 60s, his anti-Vietnam War activism in the 70s, and jumpstart that jumpstarted a health and fitness revolution that he had going on in the 80s. I mean, the brother health was prolific. Health and fitness re- you know I mean? revolution? I want to have a health and fitness revolution. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, like, like his, his impact on health and fitness in the 80s was so much that... Bro, this man was wild. That Dick Gregory became like a... What's the word I'm looking for, Miss Linguist? It's like, like people would say something like, Hey, man... You're looking good. You've been you've been losing weight. Oh yeah, man. You know I've been doing that, Dick Gregory. You know. Ah, oh, his name became synonymous yeah. with health and fitness. Exactly. Like even at house party, house party. There's a there's a part where like there's a there's an overweight guy. He's like tells he's like, yo, bring me over some of that, Dick Gregory. Because like Dick Gregory used to have this uh like vitamin mineral supplement juice thing. He was he was really really had you know head start on the whole juicing juicing movement and all that sort of the stuff. The juicing movement. Which one? Let's, <laughs> let's be clear about which one we're talking about here. <laughs> Alright, so um yeah we're gonna get into that. We're gonna dive into his life and times, talk about some of his activism over the years. And you know, just for for, for cats who do know Dick Gregory and have heard of him, because he is a, a pretty famous dude. You know, uh, you're, you're going to be hearing uh, some of the things you know. You might hear some stuff you don't know. But for some of the younger folks out there who have never heard of Dick I Gregory. Never, I never heard about Dick Gregory before. You, you, you never heard? Him. Okay. So see, like, uh, my, how did I come to hear about Dick Gregory? Besides for, like, the colloquial, you know, references, uh, like, in, in weight loss and stuff like that. I think I started hearing about him in the... Like early two thousands. I mean, obviously he'd been around for longer, but I think the early two thousands he uh, started speaking more, at least in in forms where I would see. Like he would speak at like BET events, and you know, uh, I think Martin Lawrence did like a comedy special that he uh-huh. was part of in his old in his advanced old age and stuff like that. So it was always like, oh man, this is like some old dude talking some real shit. And obviously, there's more to him than I knew. You know, and and that that was pretty much my exposure to Dick Gregory. But this will be cool if you hadn't heard of him before this. Yeah, let's get it. All right, we'll be right back with that after the jump. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. And we are about to jump into this whole thing with Dick Gregory. Now, Gregory attended... The one thing I'm going to say first... No, yeah, The one thing I'm going to say first is that... Do you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The one thing I'm going to say first, because we're talking about, like, oh, who, you know, have you, you young folks haven't heard of Dick Gregory. Now, if you had to sit me down and say, who do you think Clacton Gregory was... I'd be like, is he the governor of Mississippi? <laughs> Did he hang my grandfather from a tree and steal his land and still owns it today? Like, like I just want to say that is surprising. I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today is surprising given the old timiness of his name. I don't, I just don't trust old timiness. I don't trust <laughs> nobody named Ethel. I don't trust nobody named <laughs> Lorraine. What did Ethel's do? I don't trust no Bertha's. None of y'all. None of y'all cool with me. None of y'all. Well, Gregory it, is still a little, even just that alone, like, hmm, looking at you kind of sideways. I don't know about that. Well, in, in Dick Gregory's defense, I had never heard the name Claxton used in, in association with Dick Gregory until 
looking at his Wikipedia page. So it's not, no, you know. I only, I've only ever heard the name Claxton. It was the last name of the whitest girl in my elementary school. <laughs> he showed, no, I, he was translucent in the light. <laughs> I think there was a basketball player back in the day called Speedy Claxton. This nigga's name was Speedy Claxton, yo. Speedy Claxton? <laughs> Speedy Claxton. And it wasn't a nickname. The nigga's name was Speedy. <laughs> I just, I just, I mean, I which joke on this in my head should I say out loud? There's so many. Anyway, <laughs> Speedy right. Claxton. We digress. Poor guy. <laughs> so Speedy Claxton, attend, I mean Speedy Claxton. So Dick Gregory. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Dick Gregory. <Jackson> Gregory. <laughs> Dick Gregory attended Southern Illinois University on a track scholarship before getting drafted to the United States Army. Now, it was in the Army that he would eventually get his quote-unquote start in comedy after he was uh, urged on by a commanding officer to get into the game. Who He noticed that he had a penchant for telling jokes, humor. Yo, that's surprising as hell in itself, given how regimented and soul-crushing the Army is. Like, yeah. hey... And, and you know what you gotta, we don't do around here a lot? Have fun. You know what you're good at? Making people have fun. You should, uh... And we're talking about early... Fired. We're talking about early 50s, too, you know? Yeah. So, wow. um... So, uh, he, uh... He ended up getting into that way. He would eventually go back to the Southern Illinois University, but he only went, I think, uh, for maybe, like, another year or so before he dropped out. He would state that the school wanted him to run and not to learn, but... In any event, he, he was considering using this as a, as a jumping off point to try to pursue a career in being a professional stand-up comic. Speaking of which, I'm just going to butt in with all kinds of random shit. Yeah, um, I'm drinking Carlo, Carlo Rossi. So speaking of dropping out of college, um, we, uh, we talked about student debt on like episode maybe a year ago and it's been Might coming up a lot that, huh? it's been coming up a lot because the reloan payments are about to start again like in 60 days and everybody's real mad about it and the democrats gonna lose the midterms didn't, over it but i learned in researching this issue what didn't biden already drop it didn't he say he's no nah, this nigga yeah. didn't do shit for anybody i mean not you know he didn't he, he get child tax credit that was pretty cool but in in researching this whole issue I'm going to try to push Warnock and Ossoff to get behind the other Congress people who are pushing to cancel student debt. Mm. Um, I learned that 40% of student loan borrowers drop out of college. They don't even finish college. So they just they take got that like loan for nothing. $20,000, $30,000, $60,000 in loans, but they don't even have an degree. Mm. So, but back in, back in Claxton's days, um, you didn't have to worry about that. You go to the Army, you know, you get your school paid. I mean, I guess that's still true, but you know, College costs like $3,000 a year. Yeah. You can be making nickels at the little soda float shop on Main Street <laughs> and pay for that shit. So he's like, he's like, yo, I ain't paying shit for this degree. What's up? Gonna become a professional comedian? Probably. I mean, it's just this... contrasting the, you know, the times a little bit. So, so somewhere, <laughs> somewhere after he uh, left school and left the army, he would try his hand in opening up a comedy club, but that would eventually fail. Wouldn't work out the way that he wanted to, but he still stuck with it, still kept doing his comedy, and his star was rising. He became part of a new generation of black com comedians that included Nipsey Russell. Now uh, stop. I didn't know that Nipsey Hussle's name came from somewhere. Stop it. 
I didn't know. Stop. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Who was Nipsey yeah. Russell? He was a comedian. Well, fucking like, yeah, obviously. Like, I mean, but like, like, but I mean, he who? was like, he's like one of those, um, he's like one of those like old like Amos and Andy type of comedians like back in the day. You know, what apparently, because he was born in fucking 1918. Yeah, yeah, like these, like this in is, Atlanta, which makes me more embarrassed. I didn't know who he was. Well, see, okay, so you know. Gregory was part of that generation with Nipsey Russell, Bill Cosby, Godfrey Cambridge. These are all guys who broke the whole minstrel show tradition in showbiz at the time. They were bucking stereotypical portrayals of black people. And Gregory, as far as his comedy goes, it's much akin to something that we would recognize now, at least like in like an early Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock, stuff like that, where a lot of his comedy was based on the racial issues of the day. Um... Well, here's what I'm going to say about that, though, is that as much as you can be groundbreaking in, like, showing the many facets of blackness, I feel like, and we'll get into more of, like, Dick Gregory's, like, audience in a bit, but when we talk about people like Bill Cosby, who I know is really influential, you know, to me when I was growing up, but even people like Dave Chappelle, like, at some point you are performing for white people, particularly in the era when you have, like, stuff on TV, you have Netflix, like, it's not as, like geographically defined who your audience is. So it's not like you're performing in a comedy club in a black neighborhood. It's like you got a fucking special on Netflix. Who knows who's watching it? And so like, like it's almost like, I hate to say this, but in some ways it could still be minstrelsy. Mm. Like, cause you're still kind of like, you know, doing a song and dance for white people, even if you don't mean to, even if it's not as like, like it's not as flattening of the black experience as like minstrelsy was where they're like openly like trying to make white people laugh about black people. Yeah, no, um, I, I hear you. But well, think about like the speaking of Claxton, think about Clayton Bigsby. Like I remember when I was in middle school and that shit dropped, I had a bunch of fucking like white friends who were in band with me, like laughing about like you know nigger 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 this and that. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, this like problematic because it kind of reinforces some shit that people think about. Black people. If they don't know actual black people. Well, but not to say that Dick Gregory was like that. I'm just saying, like, when we talk about breaking with the minstrel minstrel show tradition, I think it's like a complex thing, actually. But I mean, in Dick Gregory's case, I mean, first of all, Dick Gregory wasn't even, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of what, uh, what he thought about his audience and the, the Cheney was audience and who he was trying to reach. But Dick Gregory himself personally wasn't against the minstrel shows he wasn't against the amos and andes and stuff like that as a matter of fact he's quoted saying that the problem was much like today is that there wasn't balance you know he was like it's not a matter of oh get rid of amos and andy it's a matter of that's all that there is so that there's not showing the full facets of blackness as as, as he yeah. would go on to describe it but i mean it, it also also we're not talking like um metaphorical minstrel shit. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, the comedians that that Dick Gregory was coming after were li- literally minstrel shows. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, literally, yeah. like, Bug Eye. It be very specific in that context. Yeah. yeah. Like, like so the, so by bucking that tradition, I just mean that and the little... It, like, I mean that... I mean that in the technical sense, I would say, if somebody started doing sound film and they went from silent film. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, there's a metaphorical sense, uh, and then there's a literal, actual, contextual, historical sense. Exactly. And I see what you're saying in this, in this instance, yeah. So he would credit his uh, jump off to Hugh Hefner, the uh, owner, of, owner and founder of Playboy, 
Now, a lot of people, you know, again, for our younger audience, and obviously this is way before my time, but the Playboy Club and the Playboy Clubs that were, like, franchised around the U.S. were, like, a big deal in the 50s and 60s. Oh, you know God, what I mean? when you La- said franchise... Lots of... Th- I'm sorry, when you said franchise, you made me think that Playboy clubs were like a fucking Chuck E. Cheese or some shit. Well, that's kind of like, how... Oh, drive down to your local strip mall. Come on, kids, hop in the van. We're well, going to go to the Playboy clubs. Well, that's how it was. I mean, I mean, the, the Playboy club, it wasn't... They weren't... They were like... It's the, the actual phrase, quote-unquote, gentleman's club. Is that what that's what... The, they weren't necessarily strip clubs, you know what I mean? There, was, there weren't women dancing naked and stuff like that. It was Boo. more so. It was more so just like you know, stuffy white guys in suits smoking cigars, and as it went, it just it just had a lot of popularity to it. You know, there's like a Playboy Club Chicago, there's a Playboy Club Club LA, and I just mean bef- in a time before there were Chuck E. Cheeses and stuff, like the Playboy Club was a big deal. So when Dick Gregory got his opportunity to, um, oh, when he through a chance encounter with Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner, you know, decided to have him fill in on a spot at the Playboy Club, and just from the, you know, like the Playboy Club is, it's kind of like, uh, what has that? It's kind of like if you're on like a huge podcast or something like that, you know? It's like once once you play the the Playboy Club as a comedian, then it's then your name starts getting out there and stuff. You're like good that, to go, that. yeah. So that that's uh, so he he to to the day he died, he accredited uh, Hugh Hefner with launching his comedy career. Hmm. What do you think? I mean, that's cool. Good for him. That's great. I'm still caught up on this, like, idea of the Playboy clubs. Still thinking about Chuck E. Cheese. I'm like, well, instead of Dave and Busters, it's like Dave and Bustanut. Yeah. Go in there in your leisure suit and, like, I don't know, get asthma from breathing in the cigar smoke. You should should, uh, check out some like some old footage from the old Playboy club things. Because I I just, you know, in, in this, I think through time, Maybe it just it has a different connotation. Not that it wasn't like some fucking. Oh no, man! Chauvinist. I just googled it. It's a ton of girls in bunny ears and little leotards. Oh yeah, I'm no, not that, that, I'm not that, complaining about, but like. No, 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 that definitely was the case. I just mean, you know, it wasn't a strip club. You know, if you think Playboy and you're no, thinking, they all have clothes yeah. on. Yeah. It's not a lot. <laughs> this is fine. That's cool. So while. Uh, While working for the United States Postal Service in the daytime, Gregory performed as a comedian in small, primarily black patronized nightclubs. In an interview with the Huffington Post, Gregory described the history of black comics as limited. Blacks could sing, blacks could sing and dance in the white nightclubs, but weren't allowed to stand flat-footed and talk to white folks, which is what a comic does. There's something about that quote, staying flat-footed, like what am I supposed to stand on my tippy toes around white people? No, he's, he's saying he he's no, saying. No, I know. It just conjures a funny image. Well, I mean, comedians don't sing and dance. I guess is what he was saying, or at least not the style of comedy that he was doing. He, you know, because like again, he was doing like Dick Gregory used to get some of the criticism that he would get from other black comedians of the day, is that he was too serious. You know, oh. a lot, a lot, a lot of the criticism that he would get was. Oh man, he's more of an activist than a comedian. Oh, his his stuff is more angry than funny. You know what I'm saying? So like for him, him going to the Playboy Club and doing a set at the time, it's like, hey, this isn't like somebody come up there wide-eyed talking about, hey, boss. You know what I mean? It's like a fucking suave, you know, smooth, cool ass 
intelligent black dude smoking a cigar talking about real shit of the day like like because of the racially charged nature of his act the administration the university of tennessee for instance along with others branded him as an extreme racist whose appearance would be an outrage and an insult to many citizens of the state and they revoked his invitation by students to speak on campus the students sued and they noted the students sued with uh, noted litigator William Kunstler as their counsel, and in Smith versus the University of Tennessee, they won an order from the court that the university's policy was too broad and vague, and the University of Tennessee implemented an open speaker system, and Dick Gregory would eventually get to perform in that case. you won, my friend. Great job. Proud of him. It'd be one of one of many wins. But so, what are your what are your thoughts about that so far? I mean, I think that whenever, like, you raise any kind of issues at all, whenever you're speaking realness, people, like, want to say you're angry. Like, if you're ever not just, like, going with the grain 100%, people are going to be like, oh, it's, even, like, saying it's racially charged, I don't know, man. I mean, like, he's probably just talking about real shit. Like, everybody calm down. But that it ultimately, like, came to a court case and everything. But, I mean, we also um, got to keep in court order That it came before the courts that, like, yo, y'all need to, like, y'all need to chill. Is, I mean, it's just a little ridiculous, but this is 1970. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, this is 1950. <laughs> like, like oh, he, yeah. he would have, he would eventually get to speak in 1970s, but all this stuff was oh, going damn. down in the, in the 50s. I didn't yeah. even make that connection, man. Yeah. That went, oh, that took some time. <laughs> so, um, Gregory noted that as his stardom in the world of comedy rose, he couldn't ignore the images that he was seeing from the struggle down south in the civil rights movement. Many black celebs at the time avoided really getting their feet wet in it or commentating on it like that out of, you know, fear of repercussions, losing their career, alienating an audience that perhaps they wanted to maintain. So a lot of them didn't mention it, but he found like a lot of struggle with just sitting back and, and making money while this was going on. And he also didn't feel comfortable just sending a check. You know what I mean? Like, he, he, he didn't think that that was adequate. So he had a conversation with his wife, and he told her, hey, I'm about to embark on this, and, like, I know that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rising star comedian right now, but, you know, are you all right with understanding that all this shit could end? Like now. And I mean, that's what you gotta do. That's what you yeah. gotta come down sometimes. Be like, look, people die so, for this struggle, bro. So he put his career at risk. In 1963, he went to Selma. He spoke for two hours on a public platform, uh, two days before voter registration, the drive known as Freedom Day. In 1964, he helped the search for three missing civil rights workers James Chaney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner. Uh -huh. Schwerner, yeah. who vanished in Philadelphia, Mississippi. After Gregory and members of the Corps, the Congress for Racial Equality, they met with the Neshoba County Sheriff, Lawrence A. Rainey, and De Gregory became convinced that the Sheriff's Office was complicit. So with cash provided to him by Hugh Hefner, Gregory announced a $25,000 reward for information, oh. and the FBI, which had been criticized for their inaction, eventually followed the suit with its own reward. And the rewards work. The bodies of the three men were found by the fucking FBI 44 days yeah. after they disappeared. As soon as you said their names, I was like, I know their names from somewhere. It's because they were fucking murdered. Mm -hmm. um, great. But hey, great job getting the FBI to not merely break up um, 
social movements, but uh, pretend to care mm -hmm. when their arbiters are, you know, mysteriously disappeared and killed. Great. Good job, FBI. We love you. Yo, know, this, this isn't going to be the last of the FBI and the Dick Gregory story. Like, oh, shit. Oh, no, you, you remember the Pro stuff, right? How could I forget? I think about that shit every day. Hey. I think about that shit every day of my life. Hey, but like... He, he, Dick Gregory is one of those figures. Now remember, remember when we were talking about it, we were talking about music and musicians and, and the right, musicians right, right, that right, they right. went out. But, yeah, but they, 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 they had like a whole, like J. Edgar Hoover had a whole thing out for black comedians with Dick Gregory being one of his number one targets in it. So, D Gregory was beaten, he was jailed, he was hosed, he got his arm broken down there, he had dogs sicked on him. Him and his friend, he, uh, his friends Medgar Evers and MLK, Medgar Evers, who he was actually personal, personal friends with. As a matter of fact, um, he was actually personal friends with Medgar Evers. Um, during his uh, work that he was doing in the civil rights movement, his uh, son passed away. So he ended up having to leave to go back to Chicago to, you know, deal with that whole situation. And because of how uh, close weird. him I'm and back. Medgar Evers were and how <laughs> yeah, they were, like, pretty much in each other's company, there a lot of people think that was the only reason that Dick Gregory wasn't gunned down, is because he had left to go attend his uh, child's funeral. Otherwise, he otherwise he would have been on, on in, that, in the front of that oh, driveway God. with Medgar Evers when he was shot. Oh, God. Don't, oh, yeah. ah, missing um, this shit. Oh, God. He would, uh, you know, so I, I mean, obviously, all this is to just set up the fact that this brother went from Holy being hell. a comedian on the rise to Bruh. recognizing injustice as he saw it and putting his money where his mouth was, which is, hey, I'm about to get involved. It might affect my career for the negative, but I'm, you got to stand by what you're principled on, you know what I'm saying? Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready that, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app,
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And see, you know, we've had conversations on the show before about the role of celebrities in social movements. And it's a very complicated conversation because there's a lot of people with dumb opinions out there that try to jump in and, like, help shit. Throw a lot of money around is generally what they like to do because they don't actually have to put their bodies on the line. It's just like, I mean, in this case, he was like, hey, here's $25,000. He's somewhat in that same vein. But you see that very often where it's like, hey, I announced this partnership in with Venmo, where we're going to, like, you know, <laughs> give your kids, uh, you know, diabetes medication or whatever. Um, but, like, so there's something, something about this to me. I mean, maybe it's because of, like, the nostalgizing of, like, the civil rights movement where everything seemed so pure and, like, their ideals were so untainted that, like, I mean, and also here that Gregory, like, actually put himself on the line. He was out there with folks, like, close to folks who are losing their lives in the struggle, like, it feels a little more, like, authentic than some of the, like, what's it, the whacktivism you see of, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, people just showing up at marches to put it on the gram. Or, like, I I am, you know, I announced a partnership with MasterCard where we're not going to beat your kids (laughs) or, like, you know. Well, I mean, just to put it in this context, right? And, okay, I don't think that that I should have to preface it by saying fuck a Bill Cosby, but, all right. We all know fuck a Bill Cosby off the jump, right? But you know. I mean, we're a hip hop show. It's not like a clear position to, for ne- someone deeply embedded in hip hop to necessarily hold. Yeah, that's true. True that too. And that, that could be a whole. Unfortunately, that could be a whole episode. Unfortunately, that could be a whole episode. But um, but like you've heard of Bill Cosby, right? And you haven't heard of Dick Gregory. You the the reason that you had heard of Bill Cosby <laughs> and not Dick Gregory. Is not because like Bill Cosby was just like so infinitely funnier than Dick oh, Gregory. Oh no, like I that. already know who it was. Because one yeah. nigga gave up his career, like for real, for real. It was it was like like right, Dick Gregory. and that's what you don't see. You don't see activists. I mean, like, um, yeah, you don't see you don't see celebrities like I am gonna risk my fortune. I'm gonna mm-hmm. risk my millions and billions on in his prime. In, the in, the, in his, in his, his prime. prime and beginning, like he had just he had. It would be like if. It would be like if Drake left rap to go do activism stuff in like 2010. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he hadn't even really got you know fully like become what he what he was gonna become. But he did that. His activism would expand into different areas as time went on. You know, because like 
you know, we're, we're obviously jump cutting and stuff like that. But, you know, through the course of all the stuff, Medgar Evers dies. He continues the fight. MLK dies. He continues the fight and continues being a civil rights uh, figure. But, you know, as time goes on, this would expand to anti-Vietnam War activism, economic reform activism, anti-drug issues, which he did stay away from. He, he stayed away from doing any sort of like PSA, don't do drug stuff, because he was like, man, I can't tell these kids not to do drugs when if you see my stand-up, I'm like standing there like with a glass of scotch smoking cigarettes, like they're going out of stop. But, um, back, back. but, but as he got more into like his activist, activism, activist stage and, you know, in, entered into his 40s, he became a lot more uh, conscious about, hey, man, these drugs are destroying the community, stuff like that, yada, yada, yada. Um, he, uh, as part of his activism, one of the things that he became pretty popular for as an activist, and also, you know, people were telling him, like, first, when he got into activism, people were saying, hey, stick to comedy, Right? Then he gets into activism. He does all that stuff during the civil rights era. The Vietnam War starts. He starts speaking out about that. People start going, hey, man, you should stick to civil rights. So it's just like, it's just like a never-ending cycle. That's wild. <laughs> That's wild. You never hear that. You never, ever hear that. They're always telling us to shut up and dribble and shit. Mm-hmm. And, and like now they're like, no, stick with the original activism. Um but no, he he went in on the on the Vietnam War, and I'm sorry, I caught myself in the thought. But one of the things that he was popular for in terms of the strikes that he would organize is he would organize hunger strikes, where he himself would fast and you know put his body through a lot of strain in order to make the points that he was making. But he would he would do these hunger strikes like for for all of these different movements. He would get a lot of people to join him to the point to where. He started backing off on that because of like the young people who were following in his footsteps and like actually getting pretty sick doing it. You know what I'm saying? Because they weren't like health <laughs> enthusiasts, enthusiasts like he was when they were trying to do it. Yeah. But he caused up so much shit in the 70s over the Vietnam War. Brother ended up getting banned from Australia by the government because they feared that his presence in the country would stir up demonstrate. His presence alone would stir up demonstrations against the Vietnam. You know how you got. You know what a bad bitch you got to be to get banned <laughs> from Australia. You know. You know only shit that's banned in Australia. Fucking assault weapons. Like, you gotta be a real, real bad bitch to get banned in Australia. Like, yeah. for real. For real. And, like, you don't even got the internet to spread your message and you're getting banned? You getting exactly. banned off of, you getting banned off a of newspaper press? Shit. That's clout. Um, uh, he would take this anti-war activism and use that to get into politics. So he first got into politics in 1967 when he ran for the mayor of Chicago. Though Bruh. he did not win. Well, this... yeah, because he was <laughs> up against fucking Richard Daly. It proved that it wouldn't the be the end of The mayor of Chicago. Yeah. So I mean like, That's so, crazy. so like what, what, what is that, what do you feel about that? that turn like from i mean from that's dope as now hell. going from now going from activism to like trying to get into electoral politics i mean that makes sense i mean as an entertainer and i tell this story a lot i think it prepares you for life and politics in a lot of different ways you're used to standing up in front of a bunch of people saying some wild shit um use your platform to organize you know if you can fill a room with people 
and captivate them with the story you tell. I mean, that's what politicians do. That's what organizers and activists do. This trajectory makes a ton of sense to me. Though it is, I mean, personally, though it, it might not make logical sense in like a common sense way. It's like, I mean, that's kind of what I did. I don't know, so. But running against, yeah, Richard Daly for mayor of Chicago, that's that's dope. That's real dope. So who is so who is Richard Daly for the folks that don't know? So Richard Daly, uh, he was like, let me hold on, let me refresh my memory on this. Yeah, no fucking problem. Like he like storied storied mayor of Chicago. Um, he um, he was reelected. I think he was reelected like five times. <laughs> yeah, like so he had six terms in office. Was he was he um, dick? was he an asshole? Was he an asshole? I mean, he was a mayor, probably a little bit. Um, <laughs> Comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like he um, he was like for gun control, which I think even in this era, this probably predated. No, this was this is post. I mean, but like you know, we've talked about talked about gun control a lot on this show, and how it's a little bit uh, it's it's uh, inequitable inherently, given like. Black people today effectively can't own guns in that, like, if you even look like you, if you even have a cell phone in your hand, you'll get shot down. Um, I don't know. I can't remember a whole lot about him other than, like, he was the mayor for a long-ass fucking time. Yeah. Like, a yeah, long, long time. Long, 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 long time. Jesus. That's probably why he was so famous, because, like, that nigga was in that shit for, like, what? Fucking... He, yeah, know. so he got he got elected in 1989, and he was reelected five times until declining to run for a seventh term. Jesus I can't believe God. that's even allowed. That's some fucking Senegal shit, yo. How you could like you're straight up the mayor for most people's like entire teenage and twenties. Banana. So Dick Gregory said, I feel that the two-party system is obsolete. The two-party system is so corrupt and immoral they cannot solve the problems confronting the masses of the people in this country. I agree with that. That sounds I think like he's on to something. That a cat I think he's on to something. I mean, like here we are today. Uh I don't even want to get in today. Today. I don't get even want today. to get into today in that like I feel like it's it's Maybe I'm just an adult now and like I don't have the rosy eyed view of all this <laughs> shit anymore. But like Yeah, I feel that shit, man. I feel that shit. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like the whole the whole thing is we need we need people like you to not be cynical. You know what I'm saying? Like people like you. Oh no, like oh no, Dick I'm Gregory. a I'm a yeah, no 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 no. Don't get me wrong. I'm a I'm revolutionary optimist over here. I give word, word. no fucks about the existing political order. I'm just about trying to make change through the state or outside of it. It's cool. I I appreciate this cat that he was speaking his truth back in what was this, nineteen sixty eight? Yeah. Nineteen sixty seven, yeah. So he in, in 68, in 68, he uh, ran for president of the United States as a write-in candidate for the Freedom and Peace Party, which had broken off from the Peace and Freedom Party. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, but cool. Um, nah, man, if you saw the way these the, the internal factions of things like the Democratic <laughs> Socialists in America, these niggas can't agree on shit. They all hate each other. They're all fucking each other's girlfriends. <laughs> hitting their jewels. 
in their little meetings at the the, at the local <laughs> library. Fucking, they, they don't know what's going on. That makes total sense. Nah, that's perfect. That's right. That's exactly how it should be. Okay, so in the in the um, Freedom and Peace Party, he garnered forty-seven thousand votes, including one from Hunter S. Thompson, and he with fellow activist Mark Lane as his running mate in some states. Now the run landed him on the famed master list of Nixon's political opponents. So J- Richard Nixon definitely took. Now I wouldn't say took it seriously, but. You know these fucking these '70s right winger guys. You know what I'm saying? They they kind of they kind of were like athletes in that way, where they just like look for any any bit of motivation that they can to just spur their evil shit. You know what I'm saying? So I'm pretty sure Dixon was just like, "What the nigger's running? Put him on the list! Put him on the list right now! Do it!" Even J. Edgar Hoover, like we mentioned earlier, got it on the fun, and he was in the crosshair. So. The FBI director concocted a strange and a strange plan to potentially neutralize Dick Gregory with the help of the fucking mafia. The you know FBI what? made contact with La Costa Nostra in order to take down comedian Dick Gregory. I misheard you at first, and I was like, oh, sick. Dick Gregory formed a coalition with the mafia to win the presidency. That's that Black Panther shit. <laughs> Amazing. But it's the opposite, and I'm ashamed, and I'm sad. No. The, the, yeah, the, the Mafia guys are not... They're, like, like, if we're talking about, like, 1950s Mafia guys, like, these dudes are, like, literally, like, three... Like, a step removed from Mussolini on some real shit. Like, those niggas is fascists. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let the Godfather movies fool y'all, people. The mob was fascist. Um... Dick Gregory said, do you realize what you have here? This piece of paper has the director of the most powerful police agency in the history of the planet proposing to contact this mafia so they could do work together. It is pretty fucking wild when you think about it. Like, I know that, um, I mean, on this level, because, like, I mean, you know, it's not the first time that the government sought out the mafia's help or even got the mafia's help. Um, the mob used to help out, uh, I forget exactly how, so that's my himbo kicking in, but the mob used to help out on the docks in World War Two, mm-hmm. and, like, that was, like, an official, like, connect, like, sort of thing, where they were using their connections to help shipments in the docks and shit like that, so, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a government's teaming up with militia movements or, like, organized crime, that doesn't shock me. I think I think as far as like just the recounting of his life and times, I think we'll stop there. We'll 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 go in and we'll touch some of the more more activism that he did as well as getting to his uh, little health revolution in the eighties. But we'll be right back with that after the jump. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, 
a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is your overall sense of Dick Gregory now that you... I think Dick Gregory did it right, man. If, if Think about it. If every single one of these cats, if every Lil Peep and Lil Xan and Lil, uh, you know, Barbituate or whatever got out here and made a meal and then was like, I'm going to die for the struggle for civil rights and like brought all their little millions of 17-year-olds with them, marching the streets, marching, you know, occupying City Hall, chaining themselves to... Uh, construction equipment to stop the construction of pipelines, all that shit. We would have a whole new, we would, like, America would be unrecognizable. Well, we wouldn't have no, no medical bankruptcy. Climate change, nobody would even worry about it. It'd be super sick. Everything's cool. Like, literally, if every person did a Dick Gregory, the world would be so much better. So the cat, the cat seems to have done it shit, right. you remember when we were talking about, um, Fred Hampton and shit. It's like, these motherfuckers were young back then, yo. And, like, no, nobody was saying anything. Like, nobody was... I don't want to say nobody. I wasn't fucking there. I don't know. But it just, like, you know, it didn't really seem like 
people were saying, man, these kids are only 20. You can't expect them to care about anything. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that just, this wasn't a thing. Like, it seemed like there was, like, a higher, like, more expectations for young people back then. And maybe that's not, a, maybe that in itself isn't a good thing. Maybe, like, a lot of these kids, a lot of these young people back then had to be grown before their time and shit like that. But God damn it, it was needed. You know what I mean? And motherfuckers like us probably, probably highly likely wouldn't be talking to y'all right now on this podcast if it wasn't for some of the work that these cats like Dick Gregory and them were doing. Some of the sacrifices that they made, you know what I'm saying? So I appreciate you educating me on him because, you know, I like studying uh, liberation movement history to remind myself that, you know, I'm trying to fit into those shoes the best I can in the work that I do. And to learn about another ancestor that, you know, had his own kind of lane in all of this work, was was tight with these brothers like Medgar Evers and raising issues about like the slangs of those three members of core, you know, it helps me add context and like grounding to the work I try to do out here because I feel like less lonely. Like, oh, this nigga was a comedian and went out there, got hosed, jailed, all this shit, tussling with the FBI. It's like a sigh of relief to like, to, to know what kind of fight is being carried on and how it can be carried on and that the stuff a lot of folks out here, people like No Name, who I shout out too much. I want her to come on the show. Oh, um, we should try to make that happen. Nah, she ain't coming on the shit. We ain't nobody. We, hey, like, we, hey, everybody. Um, I don't know, like comment everybody on go, some No Name shit. Everybody and go tell tag her. No Name on Twitter. <laughs> tell her I'm her secret best friend. She doesn't know we're gonna be best friends yet, but we are. Tell her to come on waiting on reparations. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah, talk yeah. some shit. But or you know some, what? So yes, it's like very encouraging to know that. To like, you know, to know what kind of shoes were out are out there to be filled. I guess I'm let's, trying to say. Let's do a little just a little speed speed round just to touch on some of the other things. Man, that this nigga was into at. all kinds of shit. He was anti apartheid activist. Uh he went out, what was it, the Amandia that- Festival with Bob Marley, Patty LaBelle. He was and- a- Outspoken feminist, he joined Gloria Steinman, Betty Friedman, Bella Abzug, and other suffragists to lead the National Equal Rights Amendment March and Ratification Extension. You know, they still haven't ratified the ERA in enough states to be make it an actual constitutional amendment. Oh shit, I didn't know that. No, to this day, this shit, this march went down in 1978. They still just haven't. Cause not enough states. They're like, oh, well, ratifying equal rights for women will like destroy the nuclear family. Like, I'm not kidding you. And like at this point in time, most people have fought. I mean, not fought. Most people have given up on the fight because it's like fucking 40 years ago. But yeah, no, the ERA hasn't even been ratified in enough state legislatures to actually be an United States constitutional amendment. Damn, so equal rights in women is not in is like literally people for decades have refused to codify it as. In the Constitution. Yeah. Damn, I like that's that's uh, do a lot of people know that? I don't think enough people know that, actually. Yeah, I, I did yeah, I did not know that shit until you just said it. Well, I also feel like feminism has moved beyond like um like you know, like the constitution itself is like a very flawed document and and shit. And like there's other ways to enact like equal rights than just like putting it in the constitution, I guess. People are more focused on struggles like the struggle for abortion rights, like concretely. Yeah. Other than putting the ERA in there, and then you got the Supreme Court saying, well, they didn't really mean it like that. And like <laughs> going and striking down Roe v. Wade anyway. Yeah. Like people are just focused on that shit. People are focused on getting equal pay for equal work. 
just concretely rather than this kind of abstract idea of like the Equal Rights Amendment, I think is where the struggle has gone since then. Um, yeah, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's wild though that now, nah, like equal rights for women, like people have tried to get it in the constitution for four decades, five decades, and it's still wow. not. Well, um, what else? Oh yeah, so what else he, he did? He uh, touched on Native American rights issues. 1966, Gregory and his wife were arrested for illegal net fishing alongside the Nisqually people in Washington state in a protest fishing. Pollution! 2008, Gregory stated that he believes the air pollution and international water contamination with heavy metals such as lead and possibly magnesium, or magnese, may be used against black Americans, especially in urban neighborhoods. Damn. Yeah. I mean, we got to do a whole nother, we got to do another episode soon on environmental racism. Yeah, you know, you heard about that. Did you ever hear about that study where they um, were studying like the rise of violent crime and lead and lead 70s. poisoning yeah, yeah. And lead hall, oh yeah. yeah the connection with no, lead. all about yeah. that shit baltimore yeah. fucking detroit yeah lead should, in the we fucking we should do an episode on that shit we should environmental racism is a really interesting issue in the ways that cuz i'm starting to content, i'm starting to like increasingly look at public safety issues through the lens of public health like cuz you know if somebody gets shot they got to go hospital that's a health issue somebody has trauma cuz their house got shot up now they got mental health problems. Now they're like smoking crack because they're stressed out. That's a public health issue. Yeah. And so like environmental like racism and the way that it affects public health, which then affects issues of violence and public safety is a very interesting topic that we absolutely will come back to in 2022. Oh my yeah. God, the last year ever. Yo, dig this. Brother negotiated for the hostages in the Iran hostage crisis in 1980. Bro, what? Excuse me? Excuse he also me, did some bro? hunger strikes for that. Um, and then that brings us into, I guess, I don't want to say, like, what he's most known for. Because, like, there is a whole generation. There's, like, a generation. There's, like, the, the, the generation that we would probably refer to as boomers probably know dick gregory more for being a civil rights activist and a comedian but i guess i would say like my dad's generation and my mom's generation they uh -huh. were like he that's dick that's when the dick gregory health shit was like the boom so in 1984 he founded the health enterprise incorporated a company that distributed weight loss products uh, with this company, Gregory made efforts to improve the life expectancy of African Americans, which he believed was being hindered by poor nutrition and drugs and alcohol abuse. In 1985, Gregory introduced the Slim Safe Bohemian Diet. Have you heard of that? No, what the fuck is that? Well, that was the thing. It's like this concoction that the brother made of like a bunch of vitamins and minerals and herbal stuff, all of that shit. And then he teamed together with like an actual scientist nigga who like, you know, refined the formula and shit. And they made like a weight loss dietary, like like a pretty much like a, a, a fucking smoothie type <coughs> thing. Before that, that was a shit. Before that was a thing. And he made that. Nigga was multidimensional. He would end up selling that company for $30 million. Bro. In, in the late okay. 80s, 90s, okay. and stuff like that. Okay. But it was like, I mean, the, you know, the, that whole thing was revolutionary. I mean, it got to the point where, you know, like he had like a hotline where people were calling him to help help them lose weight. There's one famous story of a gentleman who was a uh, thousand pounds. Let me see if I can find his name. No, shit. Are you fucking for real? Passing away. Well, Dick. I mean, sorry, but yeah. Yeah. 
Um, what is the name of this guy? Mick, uh, Mickey Steidel. Mickey Steidel. So this dude was morbidly obese. I, he tripped and fell in his apartment and ended up getting stuck in a doorway. And it took like five rescue workers to cut him out and shit like that. And it was this whole big story in the 80s and stuff like that. And famously... Dick Gregory helped this guy lose like 400 pounds or something like that. He eventually, obviously, from the from being that large, he would die. I think like two years later, but Damn. it was a huge press story about how Dick Gregory was trying to help this guy and so on and so wow, forth. Wow, so that that's crazy. More, more stuff that put him on the map. Damn. As Dick Gregory got older, you know the, um, I guess like the suave, smooth, devonier aspects of his his public personality started to kind of fade just as you know naturally like you know people get older he started getting um you know very very early signs of of alzheimer's and stuff like that so he started becoming more angry and like like if you you can there's like a whole there's a whole ton of interviews that you can watch with white-haired old dick gregory just being like a angry old black man you know what i'm saying but at this point at this point, you know, figuratively speaking, he had fuck you money. So he he used this aspect of, of his career to get back into comedy. So like, you know, but like before before Dick Gregory, Gregory went out, like in the, you know, the 2015s, 16s, 17s, he was back on the stand-up circuit doing doing shit. And like, <laughs> and I mean, the, the material that he was doing was literally... I'm old, I'm black, and I've been around to see all of it. Y'all gonna sit here and listen to what the fuck I have to say. It's funny shit. <laughs> that reminds me so much of when I met John Carlos, who, oh, if, you don't, if you don't recall, is the uh, Olympic um, athlete. I think he was a runner that, um, you know, he held his fist up in the air yeah, when yeah. he was accepted his, uh, his his medal at the, at the Olympics. Um, yeah. And... That nigga, like he, so we were both to scheduled to give talks at, I think it was the University of New Mexico. And so I was nervous. This is my first talk at university. They flew me out to New Mexico. I'm like, oh shit, this is big, big shit. I wrote my whole thing down. And I was like, all nervous. I get up there and give my little speech. And then this nigga comes up after me and talks for like 45 minutes about like bitches <laughs> and like, like literally bitches. And I'm not even sure. He's like in this banquet hall full of like, full of, all the administrators and faculty and shit. Talking like, yo, one time I saw this bitch get her fucking purse stolen. It was crazy. Anyway, what was I talking about? So, I mean, it's just, you know, getting old seems cool. I yeah. was, I mean, if I get to get old, that'd be dope, because I, you know, I'm never I'm not sure sometimes. Um, but uh yeah, that, no, that makes sense. That makes sense though. That I mean, at least sense. he had the outlet that it could be channeled into something that everybody could share in. There's um there is a 2020 documentary on Dick Gregory. Let me get the name for it for y'all. The actually it's a 2021 film. It's called The One and Only Dick Gregory. You guys should check that out. Um I watched it in preparation for this. But there is like a really, really funny scene where, you know, throughout throughout the documentary, you know, you obviously have a bunch of people who knew him commenting, you know, as they're telling the story of his life, right? And Kevin Hart and Chris Rock and who is the third motherfucker? Ah, who's the third nigga? I can't remember. I can't remember. But, you know, one of those comedian dudes, right? 
they're 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 appearing throughout the documentary, but then it gets to the point where they start talking about when you know he got older and started getting more angry, and the Alzheimer's started kicking in. And he started doing more comedy shows, and that shit is funny because like when you hear Kevin Hart and and uh, these guys talking about just interacting with Dick Gregory at that stage in his life, just having him like you know he would just. He would just get you and just sit you down and be like, listen, you little motherfucker. <laughs> I want you to understand that this shit ain't as easy as you young motherfuckers think. You motherfucker. Like, that was just his whole thing <laughs> towards the end amazing. of the life. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, R.I.P. Dick Gregory, Mr. Claxton. <laughs> I appreciate learning about you today. You seem more cool. I hope you rest well with the ancestors. I appreciate your inspiration. We'll carry your fight forward. The struggle for civil rights ain't over. We've got Nor is no... the juice revolution. No, no, not at all. Um, we've got no music angle for this episode, but I did just want to. I mean, this should end be music to my ears, though. I mean, like telling you what Dick Gregory's thoughts on hip hop were, right? So Dick Gregory was—I don't want to say he was a hip hop advocate, but he was very, very vehemently against making hip-hop responsible for the world's problems you know what i'm saying like he he was he was he was one of those cats who was like man the blues music that i was listening to when i was a kid they were saying the same shit that hip-hop cats are saying like the same same exact type of shit so it doesn't make any sense for us to try to act like hip-hop is like you know for for prude prude people or whatever whatever he's like it doesn't make any sense for people to act like what hip-hop is bringing to the table is something new or something that's so like uniquely new and vulgar that we've never seen it before because this is, he's like hip-hop never invented any cuss word you know that's a beautiful metaphor like the like hip-hop didn't invent any cuss word like hip-hop didn't invent any of the shit it talks about it just inherited it from capitalism from mm-hmm. living in the streets um, it may now be a perpetual cycle of people hearing the music and then going out and doing the shit they think's cool because Lil Peep said it or whatever. I need to stop hating on Lil Peep. Why he's you dead keep too. Make, bringing up Lil Peep? It wasn't even <laughs> white. Like I need to stop fucking hating on him and he's dead, man. That's not cool. I'm sorry. It's rap music right now. <laughs> you ain't even ready. Well, speaking of rap music, I feel like rapping because that is it for this episode. We are donezo, son. We will see y'all next week. But... You know we you know we we gotta hit you with the bars before we close it off, right? Take us on out, Joe. Hey yo, let me tell you about this nigga named Claxton, part-time comedian and a civil rights activist. Might have thought you knew him, but you didn't know the half of it. Back in university, he was running track and shit, but after this, had everybody gasp from laughter in the comedy clubs from here to over to Africa. Never shied away from talking about his breaks, even though they tried to silence him and put him in a casket. FBI was after him, not his brother Mega, but steadily he endeavored trying to make everything better. Today we still remember his many contributions. Dick Gregory always spoke the fucking truth. Hey, yo, I'ma rock the shit freshly and make it a bit sketchy And I like him thick, ease up on that Dick Gregory Speaking of dick, yeah, he's seeming legit And he even dropping knowledge when he's speaking to kids The mafia and the feds, they was thinking a hit Cause he said fuck Vietnam, he don't think that it's hip We talking about a lifetime as rare as a fucking thunderstrike He was fighting fascists who were trying to plunder rights The shit's wild and it even made me wonder like How this nigga even have the strength to do a hunger strike So if you wonder how they did in the days Whether it's integration or a minimum wage 
Days Just Salute. Dick Gregory's the motherfucking truth. Uh. Hey! Hi. My name's Dope Knife. I'm Lee Franco. And y'all have been listening to Waiting on Reparations. And hopefully you're waiting on them too. We all waiting on them. We gonna hey, get them thank though. You guys. Thank you guys for rocking mm-hmm. with us. We'll talk to you soon. See you next week. Peace. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.